This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Rum, do you hear something? Yeah, what is that? It's a bird. No, it's a plane. No, it's not that. It's the best of the buzz with Bill. Is that right, eh? It's a good sign of things to come. Commentary on trending headlines with veteran AMI producer Bill Shackleton. Well, now. Billy! I say Shack! Yep, I'm back. This is really going to spark some conversation. Remote hybrid working creating schism as popular opportunities unavailable for some workers. So this article is from the Canadian press is basically suggesting that we are, we're creating a schism. In other words, a riff between those people who are fortunate enough to be able to work from home (laughs) and people are not. Now, when you consider that, 60% 60% of the workforce, um, this is an American story, and I think it applies to, to this country too. They say that 60% of workers are not able to work online. And they are they really consist of, you know, hotel workers, hospitality people in the hospitality industry, nurses, this sort of thing, as opposed to people that can work online, like work from home, like us. Um these workers, the 60% are feeling unappreciated. And while they were touted as being very important, they're beginning to feel less important. And they are upset with the, of the fact that they can't work from home and we can. So it, there's, there's definitely people that are, working, that, are, that are working from home are the ones that are flourishing. Um, as opposed to people that are not, and are we creating two? Uh, yeah, um, are we creating two? Are we take? Are we creating a uh, two class workers? Those who have and those who have not. Well, I was afraid that we are creating some kind of divide uh, between yeah. people who work from home and people who cannot. Yeah. or choose yeah. not to, or feel more productive in different ways. Um, I was afraid of this kind of thing happening because, of course, working from home was the <laughs> the big conversation around workplace uh, scenarios to practically all capacities, right? Or at least the flexibility to be able to work from home. Um, and when you say 60%, like more than half people don't have the opportunity to yeah. do that, yeah, uh, it really does put into perspective, you know how how people might be feeling about that, um, and what reality might look for people who want the exact same stuff that the, the those of us who can work from home have, but aren't able to execute it because of whatever reasons. Um, now, I wonder how much can be changed about that Billy. And I'm coming from like a very restricted point of view, obviously, because you know what, when the pandemic happened, um, many people who before the pandemic, the scenario was no, no, no working from home. That wasn't even a conversation to be had, a question to be asked. Uh, All those things were dealt with because we had no choice. And then now so many of us are working from home. But I wonder if because you know how there were a lot of people who still had to go in person, who still had to get suited up and PPE and um, masks on for hours, had to work in person. 
you know, those people didn't have that scenario even through the pandemic. So how can we help with that? Well, I, I don't know. Um, and the article really doesn't offer a solution because the working from yeah. home was an experiment. Now it's becoming a hybrid way. For sure. And employer employers are, or, or a lot of employers are are wanting to, are wanting their employees to get back to the office, but employers are employees are saying, "No way, I want to work from home." Hmm. And you know um, how you so, said some people feel less appreciated. Yeah, or, you know, many right. of these people responded that they're going into work and have to, and they feel less appreciated. I think that's where uh, we have to focus in on. You know, if if people feel like they're not being paid enough, or recognized enough, or valued enough for the extra work that they have to do now uh, going into work, then we need to narrow in on that, right? And understand um, how we can, like, make people feel more valued. Well, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe pay them more. It's, well, it's very difficult. See, I have the issue here where I stop and think 60% is a high number. And let's be fair, you just mentioned the people who never got the chance to work from home through the whole pandemic. Exactly. They're going to be lumped into that amount. Also, before the pandemic, um, we all felt that anyone working from home after a while, the novelty wears off, but employers really had to believe you were working from home. So there was a pressure that that came with that. It didn't have that that appeal because, you know, managers were, well, yeah, but how do I know you're really doing what you're supposed to be doing? Well, the productivity. On top of that, there have always been jobs. I, I mean, I'd like to think, and I'm sure on a really stormy, rainy, cold, or snowy day, you know, people collecting sanitation kind of resent all of us as they go by and we're waving hi from inside our warm offices too. Yeah, um, that has, has is not new. Um, that has has to be thought about too. As well, but a lot of the nature of this is that way. Just as I think, and and I'm kind of curious what you guys feel about this. As we get used to this, those who can work from home and things start to be able to return as we deal with the pandemic, move into the endemic and ways of dealing with this crisis as it starts to pass becomes normacy. Well, the people at home then start dealing with, well, this is getting a little old being here all the time. Oh, I wish I could yeah. go into an office. But what about the offices, the businesses say, there is no office to go into. There's I, no I, office. <laughs> I got rid of that darn thing. I'm not paying a lease on something like that. Who needs yeah. it? Well, but hold on. You've got a big house and a golf course. Uh-huh. That's right. You know, mm-hmm. you and your apartment enjoy your work. You know, and meanwhile, the person's going by outside, you know, dropping off packages for, for you know, for uh, Pure Later. And he's waving, hi, how are things in your cage? That's what you- I wonder if we're going to see that turnaround in time, Bill. Yeah, or I wonder, or, or even if we are. Um, yeah, I mean, people, if, if uh, is working from home going to get boring? Is it going to be like, certainly working from home isn't perfect. I mean, not by any well, means. Well, um, everyone but, but has their preference. You've said n- yeah. numerous times, you'd love to be back in sitting there at your old desk. Yeah. Others yeah. So, around the company, oh, I like being home. Others are, oh, I don't really care. I wouldn't mind going in once a week or twice a week. Or Everybody has, at this moment, in four months, they'll feel different. Maybe they want to go in instead of three times, four times. Maybe they'll go to two because they're annoyed at the company. Yeah. Um, there are a couple advantages that people that are working from home, what they're saying is that they are you can negotiate better wages because if you can say, well, I'm not going to work for you, I'll go somewhere else. Because there's a lot of companies that are working from that are looking for people that can work from home, and you don't have to be near the location, you don't have to be near the office. 
you can yeah. work you can work for a company in China and, and live in Toronto. That I agree maybe, with. I, I think, unfortunately, some of the issue too is companies are starved for people. So I do get they're looking for employees. I do think that that's a little much to say they can start dictating or go anywhere they want to because uh, – see, I, that's where I'm concerned. That's kind of up there with that 60% of people are feeling left out in the mm-hmm. cold. I think this article is, is kind of stretching some of this too. It might be. It might be. Again, just my opinion on that on that level. I certainly – not going to condemn any one situation, say one's better than the other. I, I really do think it's so individual. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say, well, you know, if someone says, well, geez, I'd really like to work from home, but I can't doing my job. Well, some of us know certain jobs you can't. You can't, if you yeah. sell houses, you can't do it all from your living room. You've got to show the houses. You can't say, well, come on over. I'll bring yeah. it up on my computer. It's literally impossible. You, you know, the the connections we need to have in person are not going away. And we say that about, you know, automated situations all over the place where there are no humans and how we hate that. We can't just say, okay, everybody stay home. And it feels like more of a divide, right? Even internally, like you're saying, Rum, even with staff, the connection, the lack of connection, how do you feel? Because you're no longer working along. Walking into a place and having no receptionist, having no other colleagues around. Exactly. It's it's sort of something out of like, you know, a a sci-fi Joe, where, you know, the guy shows up in the twilight zone. And, where is everybody? The building used to be full. Yeah. You know what's crazy, Bill? You told us that this was going to spark a lot of conversation, and we've, in fact, sparked enough conversation that we couldn't get to a second article. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I did it. I rang the bell today. move to this one you know how i like um amazon alexa articles um mm-hmm. amazon alexa could soon mimic voice of dead relatives sounds like something from the grave doesn't it like it sounds, sounds pretty creepy. just distorted uh yeah now let me tell you what's going to happen amazon is pitching this with the idea that what if you lost a loved one during the pandemic, or maybe you lost a grandmother or a grandparent or an aunt, what you would do, and there's, by the way, there's no time limit as far as I could tell when this is going to be rolled out. But the way I think it's going to work is you would need a sample recording of the, of the person's voice, and you would put that into um, Alexa. It's muted, so it doesn't matter. Um, and basically, it would mimic, it would synthesize that person's voice. Um, so you'd have a memory of of that. So the example in the article that was given was a young girl or a child lost an, a grandmother, I think it was a grandmother or an aunt, whatever, and the aunt read the, her a, a story out of a fairy book, of a, of a, a fairy tale book. And it was very comforting to know that, I mean, even though the, the, the relative wasn't there, 
that you could hear their voice. And I think that's Amazon is pitching that as a way of sort of a snapshot of remembering mm. what a person sounded like. Imagine, well, first of all, I like this guy that he says, doesn't matter. Uh, she's muted. Well, maybe yours yeah. is, but not everybody else's, Shag. So the A lady doing this, I mean, they could obviously not retrieve audio from, uh, you know, if the loved one was somebody you lived with or had their own Alexa that, that allowed you to utilize any of the actual audio that they may have because they're not you don't want to admit how much stuff is kept or or whatever because we'd yeah. all go into a panic if that was the case. Um, yeah. But uh, for whatever it's picked up and in, in, in hearing since it's listening. But the the point is, I mean, and I don't know how some people would feel about that. I love the example of if you had a clip of that, vo- you know, the voice that it could take it in enough. How creative could it be? How much could it, you know, take that voice sample? And mimic it, or or is it just playing that sample? But could you imagine if it, we had that capability to select and ma- use that voice just from, a, a, say, a three-minute sample, as we will be able to in the future, take that so you could literally get Alexa, sorry, guys, to read that story to you? Yeah. Um, in, in that person's voice. Wow. Yeah, so it's really, go ahead. That's trippy, you know, like when you think about, is that possible? It's all trippy. Just uh-huh. thinking that the persona of this person will proceed the person's actual existence is trippy. Well, and and there's a black again, we already hear people say. Well, we already hear people saying that about the holograph stuff, right? That that's just you shouldn't be messing yeah. around with that kind of thing, right? Oh, gosh, the Prince one at one of the what was it a Super Bowl Grammy performance or Super Bowl? Yeah, that was. Oh my god, the controversy around that was uh, outrageous. But yeah, I, because I, the concept is outrageous to some yeah. of us, it's like unfathomable. Even you know, this to me goes like a little bit beyond my comfort zone. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I knew he was going to say that. I'm too. all for technology, but there's certain things where I'm like, mm, let's just while well, they're alive, fine. But I just am very fascinated <laughs> to see how far this could go in that level of what technology but like i said we'd never find out if they happen to be able to go into the archives and pull out you know if something happened to me uh you know all my audio said to the a lady or 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 google in the last whatever you know and they were able to use yeah. that to compose stuff or if you ask the time and it just be my voice telling you it's 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 you know whatever wow Brought down to my knees, New Brunswick uh, restaurateur slams changes to New Brunswick's um, actually immigration stream program. Did some research on this. This is coming from the Canadian press. Essentially, what has happened is that we've talked about uh, you know labor shortage all over the world or all over this country anyway. Um, so New Brunswick is facing a, a labor shortage. Um, Basically, what it is, is the immigration stream would allow certain people in certain sectors, if they qualify, 
to be fast-tracked into the, basically, into the province. The government has closed the stream down, essentially because they're allowed four to 600 people, and they've already received 3,000 um, people of interest. So what they're trying to do is they're trying to cover, make sure that all the sectors like nursing and education are represented. So unfortunately, what the problem is, is this guy who owns a number of restaurants um, and, and coffee shops in New Brunswick cannot get any workers because the four to 600 people are already, if they're not accounted for, they will be. So what's he going to do? Right. Right. It's created the job shortage as we as we've talked about people moving, changing positions, not wanting to be doing some of the work they were doing. They've taken the time to maybe take courses and are elsewhere. You bring people yeah. in and and, you know, want to be sure that jobs people can be distributed and, and it gets it gets tough. And I wonder if this was the kind of problem that would have been foreseen. I, yeah, well, there's, there, see, when it comes to certain sectors, as you know, there's a shortage. There's a, even without the pandemic, there's a shortage of restaurants. Right. They're very hard to get. Um, and, and it's an attitude change. And I think some would say, well, people don't want to work in a restaurant serving people. I'm not, I'm not sure this is what's fully going on that people are just, well, I don't want to be in a position of, we see so many people saying, I'm ready to move on with life. I'm re-. So part of that might be, I'm ready to do different kind of work. Well, I think a lot of the people that are, that he's, re- he's relying on are immigrants who will work, who, who will do the jobs that <clears throat> I don't like saying it, but nobody else will do. And let's face facts. There are jobs that Canadians, you know, won't do, especially in New Brunswick and some of these country, uh, provinces where, you know, maybe you can go to Toronto and get something better. So there, there is that, right? Well, and I but then think there are people we, from Toronto moving to New Brunswick. You know exactly, what I mean? yeah. uh, and and it, because of what they see out there. Um, but one might argue, yeah, but they're still working back for a place in Ontario if they're doing it virtually or whatever. Yeah. Okay, but but not every job, not all availability is going to be like that. I think when we are bringing people into the country to and assessing where they can go. We want to see them in that position of, of being successful with a job. And a lot of people, you know, want people coming in. Well, if, if we're bringing people into the country, we need you working. We want that. So we, we spend the time to make that kind of thing possible. But then when you look at where we've had this shortage, if someone's saying, wow, people are leaving this position, people are frightened to be here, you know, they, they've all abandoned ship to something else or where they feel more protected. And that's where you start watching the distribution of people and, and jobs and seeing, okay, where do we, where do we need people? Let's make sure the most important, such as healthcare are taken care of first. Um, It's a very interesting problem. It is. And maybe they have to concentrate more on um, the, on, on the labor force. Maybe, Maybe it's a matter of prioritizing who gets in. Well, it is that, but maybe your priorities have to be in the right place. It just seems you know? so funny when before the pandemic, so many of us, you know, there were so many people we were talking about were unemployed, looking for work and couldn't get a job. It's it's just such a, and I know it's still there. Don't get me wrong. I'm not suggesting that problem has, has vanished, but it just seems when you hear someone say, I can't find anyone to do this work. It's just so, such a different dichotomy.
diary of 12-year-old Ukrainian refugee to be released. So this diary tells us uh, the story of Eva Skaletska, who quite correctly points out at the beginning that we all know what war is. I mean, we know the words, but we don't know what the words actually mean. And basically what she has said is that unless you've been there, and I, I think you'll agree, oh, that sure. there's no way that we, we, can, we can't comprehend what it's like um, to, be in, to be in a war zone. No. Um, so she tells a story of her, when she was 12 years old, the bombs fell on her city of Kharkiv, and she tells a story of how she and her grandmother, because her parents were divorced, so her grandmother raised her, and they escaped to southern Ukraine. And the first, the first thing that came to mind when I read this article is Anne Frank, the diary of Anne Frank, and one of the reasons why, I mean, there are some similarities to this. I mean, first of all, they were both girls, and both both diaries involved war situations. And and I I I mean this is an interesting when you read something like that, especially told from the perspective of a twelve-year-old girl, it really tugs at the heartstrings, does it not? I think perception too, right? Rum, yeah. You you hear these yeah. things and what things are going to be expressed, um, described to you by a twelve-year-old, um, what feelings. Uh, of 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 the experience are are going to be articulated so differently than you know someone and again anyone could argue well anyone's going to say it in their own words their own feelings and what you feel is going to be different than someone else we get that but as you said mm-hmm. Bill there is no way of of any of us unless you've been through that um, and 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 it's awful that there are people around us right now that can tell us more than we want to know about it. Um, what that's like, what the experience so fresh in their minds is. But Ramya, you know, when you think about people and different words, people speak in their own way, their own heart, and it's going to be different in everyone's story is. And it's not analytical when you hear it from a 12-year-old or, or children or you know, just young people going through it firsthand. It's not mm-hmm. um, how we sit here and talk about what's going on in the Ukraine, how we broadcast about it, how we inform people about it, uh, you know, put in our own thoughts of what people might be going through. And and the, the relatability is what we're trying to get when we're being authentic about what it might be for somebody going through war. But for somebody who's actually going through it, and especially from a young person, younger people, uh, it's it's just, it's not that way. It's, this is what I'm going through. Let me tell you about it. That's why it's a diary, right? Like it, the, the word diary is being used here. Um, because it is just legitimate experience put down on paper and then being shared. And so I I definitely agree that it's going to hit people um, differently. You know, our, our monthly book club that people are reading right now, A Long Way Gone by Ishmael Bia, that, it, this reminds me of that because it's accounts from that person going through it as a child soldier uh, in their words. Their and that's just a totally different impact. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that is the real key because we sit here and say, 
oh my goodness, I, I that would be such an overload to my mind, to what I'm experiencing. And th- but this person has to find that way, needs to for their own uh, mm-hmm. to to express it, to describe it. Whether th- the last thing they're thinking is, will Kelly reading this understand? <laughs> That's that that is them no. expressing, putting the words down. Mm-hmm. It's art. It, it's always it's, it's art always, in a way. It's Go always ahead, good coming from it's always good coming from a first person perspective and rather than an author writing this kind of thing and you know when you look when you read this some people might find it very difficult i mean it's it, it's mind-blowing yeah. but on the other hand as you say it's actually the reality of what of, of what's what this person experienced you may say well gee whiz it's i can't finish it well and but it's it's what's what it's it is what it is and it's that snapshot of that time, that place, that person's experience. You know, I always think about that, you know, so with so many different things of, oh, do you remember this or when that? And someone else might say, no, I don't really remember that because that's your interpretation of something that went on in life, an event, or just a time frame, you know, 1978, and this is what you remember, or 1992, um, you know, the things that were important to you and the things that impacted you. And that's what we're getting here on that microscope of, of, of a time um, the experiences that are magnified because of what they are and scary. Uh, and sir. Oh, go ahead, sir. The, one more thing about it. The money raised is going to go to, <clears throat> to help Ukrainian refugees, which is even better. going crazy if you think packaging is shrinking um um, i don't know if you've noticed uh, your packages of potato chips or yogurt or cornflakes or whatever been shrinking apparently they call it they call it shrinkflation yeah i've noticed this since 1989 yeah personally i don't don't know that i've ever noticed it um really um, but are you kidding me? no i don't know that what about your favorite the chips bill those well, bags, so you know, there's, well, I was just going to uh, say, do you remember the days when there was the more bottom? chip? <laughs> oh God, he'd notice that. Yeah. Uh, but chips, Billy, that's, that's a prime yeah. example. That was the old stunt. Now they can't even be bothered to put the air in there. We're not trying to use up air for that. Just make a smaller bag or put less in the bag. Right. You know, before you felt the bag was puffed up because they put some air in there. Now, no, just put less. And that started years ago. Yeah, well, it it proliferates when there's when when there's uh, when you know when it, the the prices of ingredients, the prices of of uh, packaging inflates. Ah, yes, and, that's you know, the rub. Yeah, that's the rub, and the manufacturers hope that you don't notice. Well, or if and, you do, you don't say anything, and we will never see things go back. We will find no. all this stuff. The price is going up because well, we need the reasons because it's just terrible. We can't. We will not see. Maybe fuel. We'll go down to whether, okay, guys, you feel happier once we've had it above, you know, 212 long enough. But okay, well, guys, are you happy? It's only 201, right? They, they, that will happen. But prices of the food that we're so concerned about, milk, whatever it might be, I, I, I'm sorry, folks. I, I don't see it ever going back. Hopefully it stops climbing, 
and it might climb to a ridiculous you know mm-hmm. amount, but it won't go back to what it was two years ago, five years ago. Never. Well, we'll never go back to five years ago, no matter a pandemic or not. Yep. Yeah. It's so scary. The, the question is: it is it is it are, are we being ripped off? Or I mean, the article suggests we might be. I don't know. No, oh, geez, look at all the hands. I think that's the uh-huh. S category. <laughs> I, Bill, I, I, I don't even know what to say because we can sit here and rationalize it out. We hear the the, the concerns for farm uh, farmers and stuff of what's going on. We know how hard hit so many so much industry has been. So we can only say, well, yeah, but the industry's going to say, well, what else can we do, guys? And I, yeah, I, I don't yeah. know. You know, I, I don't know. We all have our price of how much we'll pay for something or can't. Bill Shackleton is a usual suspect on our show, Kelly and Company. You can catch Billy sneaking around the studio on Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern on AMI-audio. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts for more of The Buzz. All right, see ya.